It's Thursday, July 4th, 2019, and you're listening to Last Time on Video Games, the show about retro video games and sometimes some other stuff. You're listening to episode 262. Earthbound takes place in America. It's definitely a 4th of July game. Runtime for this episode is 1 hour 31 minutes. And welcome to Last Time on Video Games, the podcast that might get suspicious and start taking pot shots at you with a machine gun. My name is Jeremy. The genius Jeff fixed the show overnight. I'm Tyler. All right. My name is Zach. Come on, Zach. Say fuzzy pickles. My name is Zach. I am not <laughs> saying that. This podcast stinks. My name is Zach. You uh. cannot grasp the form of my attack. My name is Zach. No. I have so many of these. I know you do. <laughs> For years, every time someone asks me to take a picture of them, I say, say Fuzzy Pickles. I've One person ever has understood this. That doesn't really surprise me all that much. I feel, Earthbound is so popular. Earthbound is a real, like, it's the closest thing video games. That's not the closest thing. There are lots of examples of this. But it's very much a cult hit, right? It's a cult classic in video game form, which we have a lot of, but not as many of his movies, because it was super unpopular when it came out. Nobody bought it. It's why you have the stories of people who found literal like bargain bins at Best Buy's with 30 copies of Earthbound for five bucks that they were able to buy and then sit on for a year and sell them at 300 bucks a pop. Now, that's fair, actually, because a lot of people know about Earthbound, but maybe don't know about earthbound yeah and like i feel it's a 25 year old game now almost 24 now there was um so like not a lot of people went back to it because it was out of print for a very long time uh, until it came out on the wii u virtual console and who has a wii u it also the only way to play it was to emulate it which a lot of people did including myself or tracked in a super nintendo and like your choices now are to own a wii u own a super nes classic which is a good investment but (laughs) it's not like they're super common or emulate it yeah, and emulators had a problem with it at first because it actually had, like, an anti-pirating thing built in. Um, that would, like, delete your data or something like that? I Nothing can't. that elaborate, but there's a lot of Super Nintendo emulation stuff. Chrono Trigger was, like, the white whale for a long time. It was like, ah, when we have an emulator that can run Chrono Trigger, everything will be a golden paradise. But that was a long time ago. And <laughs> now I have a random Super Nintendo emulator on my damn phone that I carry in my pocket. That, that runs run, Chrono Trigger. Yeah, that can run Chrono Trigger. That so. doesn't really surprise me all that much, because it's the same thing as, like, uh, constantly amazes me that we landed on the moon with less processing power than I regularly carry around in my pocket. It was a lot more mechanically driven, which means it was a lot less smart about how it reacted, which is both a good and a bad thing. Yes, but there was a lot of there was also a lot of labor and a lot of math involved doing it in the first place. Yep, as opposed to doing math on the fly. Like, I make computers do for me. So we played Earthbound this week, one of my favorite games, and we will get to that. But before that, E3 happened. Is there anything we want to say about E3? Doom Eternal looks bitchin' as hell. Yeah, Pokemon Sword and Shield. Like, that's the highlight, right? I'm I'm keeping my eye on their, like, dual pack in case they actually decide to announce if there's going to be anything special in that. Because right now it's literally like, look at this dual pack. For only $120, you can get both $60 games. Yep. As far as I can tell, there's no advantage of buying both of them at once right now. In in that dual pack, at the moment, they haven't said anything about it. Um, the other thing, like, uh, Fire Emblem looks really good, even yep. though they didn't say anything about it. I thought the Link's Awakening looked very much like 
the uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer animation from, I think it was the 1930s, but it's, I'm not sure. No, it it's newer than that. that. It's the 1960s. Are you sure about that? I thought yeah. the original cut of it was in the ni- was uh, black no, and white. I own like a collection of all the movies they ever made. Oh, if you get a chance, if you like those movies at all, you should watch Santa Claus is Coming to Town. It involves a literal acid trip by Santa Claus. In and- which he plays uh, uh, curling, right? No, I'm thinking of a different one. I'm thinking. I'm never mind. I'm thinking of Kirk Cameron saves Christmas. I'm sorry, which has a Rankin and Bass parody where Santa is curling. It's not worth it. Don't watch that movie. Thank you. I was um, trying to remember the name of the production house, Rankin and Bass. Yeah. Is that the the stop motion claymation? What what actually is this? That animation style? Uh, it's that's w- it's not stop motion or claymation. Stop motion. Yeah. It's oh, it's stop motion. And it was okay. 1964. Okay. Yep. For whatever uh, reason, I thought it was 1930s. I must be thinking of something else. But like that was that was their whole thing. Um. I actually... Those are some fun classic movies that I think they did Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer on YouTube last year around Christmas time. Oh, that's cool. Like, I think you could watch it for free. That's cool. Like, that, The Grinch and Charlie Brown, that's like a good hour-ish of your time. Probably a lot more than an hour. Um, I think that one is, like, I thought that one was like an hour long. Yeah, I was going to say it's probably more than an hour, because I remember Rudolph's actually a bit longer. It's been a while since I actually watched it. And the Grinch is like 40 minutes or something, right? Bumble's bounce. And while I agree with you, that actually really endeared me to it. Like, I've been... We played Link's Awakening, I guess it's been a couple years ago for the podcast, and that's a game that has a lot of like personal importance to me, but I was like, I don't need that game remade, I just played it. That's exactly it. my thought on it. But so. like seeing this animation kind of turned me on it, I was actually kind of like, oh man, maybe it would be fun to go back to that. And if nothing else, I hope we get a soundtrack CD, because the uh, melody at the end of that, the Windfishes song, is like, I've been trying to find a good cover of that for my iPod for years now. Yeah, I mean, like, again, I'm not a big Zelda person, so that didn't do anything for me. The Animal Crossing thing didn't do anything for me. The yeah. Breath of the Wild 2 didn't do anything for me. I was actually more excited for that. I was actually more confused that they were doing that since they haven't done any direct sequels to anything else. They have and that before. actually does well, I mean, Majora's Mask, yeah. But yeah. Majora's Mask. That does make me a little worried if they're going to start doing that. It really just reinforces that they're just going to remake Zeldas all the time, but I was a little sad that they didn't have like a Metroid or something in there because it looked almost like it was just one big block of of the same, <laughs> with the exception of Fire Emblem. Barry they actually in there. just put up a listing for hiring an art director for Metroid Prime Four. So, <laughs> and I kind of felt not the opposite of you, but I thought there was a lot of interesting stuff in there, like the No More Heroes Three trailer. I was like. This is No More Heroes 3? It's a weird common Rider parody? I guess I'm on board. <laughs> I was more, that one, uh, the only thought I had for that was, I literally just told Tyler this game didn't exist. Yep, <laughs> which is hilarious because someone on our uh, Discord was like, it was hilarious listening to you guys saying that, considering E3 was last weekend. Banjo and Smash. Yeah, Banjo and Smash is like, that's the character I wanted the most. I was actually a little disappointed by that, just because for a second I thought maybe it was a Donkey Kong Banjo crossover, just uh, with all the crossover cool. stuff Nintendo's been announcing and doing lately. Also, I, yeah, I was like, oh, Banjo and Smash, and then and the then Dragon Goku Quest. And Goku and Smash, like everybody wanted. So. And the Dragon <laughs> Quest characters, and I was like, eh, I kind of like their mecha- Like, as a person who plays Smash a lot, I'm interested in them because mechanically they look pretty weird. Um, and I like weird mechanics. But this got me to look into something. Apparently there is, for about a year now, a Dragon Quest AR game that is Japan only, which makes sense because it's Dragon Quest. Um, I just have no idea what the hell this game is. 
Do you just climb mountains literally in real life? And I, then... <laughs> I just saw gameplay of the One Piece AR or VR game. It's not actually an AR game. It's a VR game. And as far as I can tell, it's only Nami flirting with you for like five minutes and me feeling kind of weird and uncomfortable <laughs> and being like, who wants this? Oh, yeah. I should look up and see if there's anything on the, the Fate Go VR thing that I remember seeing. I don't think it was out in the U.S., though. VR or AR? VR. Okay, so you like wear a headset and I think it has so. something to do with fate. It was okay. advertised as being on your PlayStation 4 for VR, so... Huh. I bet it's the same thing. You awkwardly flirt with Saber for it, five minutes. That's well, probably MASH, but because MASH is like the unique character they made for Fate Go originally, like she's the character that's with you all the time and has her own unique class and all that. So it's like, okay, that's probably what it is, but I, at the same time, I'm a little curious to know if there's more to it than that. Having never heard of this character, is she based off of the hit 1970s sitcom? <laughs> I, I would love that. <laughs> I want to see MASH, the 70s sitcom, as a girl, a sexy anime waifu. The oh. artist, please at me. <laughs> oh, no. For, okay, for a second, I was like, MASH, the 70s sitcom, what the hell are you talking about? I think it's and then 80s, I remembered, but... it, I, I think it might be 70s. But then I remembered, oh, yeah, MASH, the thing about the current, the, uh, MASH unit in the Korean War, the one I think I've seen every episode of because my parents watch it all the time. Yeah, it was hugely popular, and having watched a few episodes, it's I think actually, actually for pretty good. good. Yeah. Any other non-Nintendo stuff we want to say? Because I want to talk about the Square presentation for a minute. I did, did not watch any of the... Um, okay, did you well, see that fair. Avengers presentation oh, they had? You, you, uh, I, you did, I did see that uh, Keanu Reeves, like, he came oh, out yeah. and he said something about, like, uh, 2077, like, it looks beautiful or something like that. And a, and a heckler shouted something like, You're, you take my breath away or something like that. And then it's Keanu Reeves on screen and, anyway. <laughs> well, Keanu Reeves was like, it, like, he said something back. I don't, I'd have to, like, look it up and find the clip again. But, like, then the developers for Cyberpunk 2077 gave that guy a free copy and some other stuff. Like, they gave him some free swag for it. But at the same time, I saw this on the Gymquisition, if anybody's, anybody cares where I got all this. Then, like, I guess for, like, the rest of E3, people just were shouting random crap at the developers and to try and... and shit. Yeah, and basically in this one this moment... we can't have nice things. Like, this one moment went really well and was like a really cool thing and then people just had to ruin it by overdoing it uh so anyway the square enix presentation they announced their avengers game have you guys seen anything on this i saw some of the clip from it from watching that gym acquisition because he was talking about the winners and losers of e3 it looks awful they went for a hyper realistic style it, but it's not based on the movies. It's kind of like so in it, between is what it looked like to me it's like kind of based off the movies but just enough like it looks like Lieutenant America. Yeah, it like, looks like a bunch of old guys in their 40s cosplaying as the movie Avengers. Like, it looks like Tony Stark, but specifically not by Rob like Robert Downey Jr., so it just looks wrong. I had more <laughs> the, the feeling of it's like, you know, you have the Avengers, and then you have the Chinese knockoffs. Probably because they didn't want to pay the actors for the likenesses. Yeah, but like, Black Widow has this super vacant stare. Like, Hulk looks fine because he's Hulk. But, like, Tony Stark just looks, like, a little too fat and chubby, and same with Thor, and uh, it just looks bad. But uh, the other thing about the Square Enix presentation is they sold me on Final Fantasy VII Remake, and I'm not, like, a Final Fantasy guy, and I've been making, like, Duke Nukem Forever-esque jokes about how that's not coming out ever. How'd they manage that? It just looks good. Have you seen the presentation on it? I haven't seen the full presentation, but also, I've seen not, all the stuff on it. It's not JRPG-y anymore. Well, I knew that, but the I thing didn't. is, it looks like they took all the good ideas from Final Fantasy 15 and then spent 10 years making that a good video game. 
Um, so if you don't know how it plays, it's got action RPG combat similar to Final Fantasy 15. You go up and you hit things, but you can switch between all your party members on the fly and they all have different weapons. So if you switch to Barrett, you actually have a machine gun. If you switch to Tiffy, you do fighting combos. But then you have an ATB meter that fills. And when it fills, you can basically pause the game to do Final Fantasy like turn-based actions yet we would do. So that's how you do all your magic and your summons and your limit breaks. That's and interesting. It just looks very fluid and like it works. And maybe it maybe that works for you on that count. But as soon as I heard, you know, you have game one is that original like Shinra stuff, and then you have to buy a separate game to get all the rest of the crap. So like, oh wow, That's no thanks. It depends on how long game one is, right? If it's actually a video game length experience, I'm fine with that. And I don't care about the plot of Final Fantasy VII that much. Like so. neither do I. Final Fantasy VII's not my bag. Like it just looks like the gameplay's good. And I just think they should have just w- done it in one game. I mean, I can definitely see that argument, but it looks like they're throwing so much money into this that they need to recover their costs. I'm probably not the target demographic for pre-ordering this, but I'm willing to pay attention to it when it comes out and see. They sold me so well on it, I, I did pre-order it. Like, because so, I want to play it. Because like, so I think game, we're running the gamut here, right? <laughs> like, I'm not a Final Fantasy VII guy, but it was clearly made by people who love it. And like I said, I have very complicated feelings about Final Fantasy XV, and it looks like they took what was good about XV and fixed what was bad, or at least most of what was bad about it. Maybe it's just me. Like, I'm looking at it as, like, you should have done it as one game, and should have kept the original mechanics that they developed for the game when remaking it. I are you sure? Yeah, because you sure that game's that? available on Steam and Switch and PS4. Like I could play it right now. That doesn't stop people from remaking. That doesn't stop people from remaking the same game over and over again. I mean, Nintendo's doing the same thing with all their remasters. Ocarina of Time plays the same. Sure, having played both of them, Link's Awakening is probably going to be the same. Just a facelift. I agree with you there, but like, if you can remake the game with better, more modern mechanics, that's also interesting, I think. And the old game still exists. Like, it, like I said about Link's Awakening earlier, I kind of feel like I don't need this remake because I can just play it on my DS. I already own it. I wonder um, if they're going to change anything about the plot in that game. Because that's if, if I was doing a game like that where there's such a big deal in the plot, I'd probably do some shifts around to it just to make... Just you mean to, Final Fantasy? Yeah, just to I'll, change uh, Rebuild thing. of Evangelion. Probably not that extreme, but... Probably not that extreme, or, like, Brotherhood or anything like Cloud that. Cloud was Sephiroth the entire time. But, like, certain other changes where people are expecting things. Like, maybe not necessarily don't kill Aerith, but, like, kill her somewhere else Figure or in a different point plot. in the game. Uh, or, like, don't kill her at all and kill Tifa instead. So, twist. The biggest story change... In Final Fantasy VII, this has already been leaked. Uh, Cloud dies? No, Tifa's chest is getting nerfed. <laughs> the, I, I learned recently that the uh, so- Sony Ethics Board, which I did not realize was a thing. And That's I found- what I was talking about before the podcast when I was talking about Omega Labyrinth Life slash Labyrinth Life. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, so first of all, that's the most bonkers thing that I, I think I've heard in a while, is that Sony has an ethics board. And they uh, don't have a defined set of rules. Like, the rules that they're operating on aren't written down anywhere, so developers have no idea what they're t- what they're doing. Getting back a little bit more on a serious topic, the one, like, it's not a story change, really, but if you played Final Fantasy XV, one of the huge things about it is that they tell a ton of the story just in the banter and the characters in fights, and they've added that to Final Fantasy VII. 
which I feel oh. like accents those characters to an extreme degree. So in a lot of ways, I feel, think like they feel more like the characters than they did even in the games. And I think they're doing a lot of stuff to make it more like the game people remember than the game actually was. So they're hijacking like, a major component from Dragon Age 2? I mean, you could argue that. How much in combat? Uh, dial- I didn't actually play Dragon Age 2. So Dragon Age 2, it's not combat. so much in combat. It's a lot of like when you're out roaming around, okay, your companions which will talk to each Dragon other. Age did as well. Yeah, they're doing a lot of that, and I think that's a real strong improvement. It just looks good. It looks like they poured a lot of love into it. It looks like it was made by a ton of people who love Final Fantasy VII more than me, and I want to reward the product of that love, because it looks like they are taking actual risks. Because like Zach said, they could have just remade the game with the same exact battle engine and just upgraded the graphics, and it should have been out four years ago if they did that. (laughs) I mean, I don't like hate the fact that it exists, I do kind of wish people would stop remaking games. and But I, I'd say, like, should have just done that. But at the same time, I just had the realization, I played through and absolutely love the re- Resident Evil 2 remake. Yeah, and a lot of people are comparing it to that, that actually played it, um, that played it at E3, because there was a playable version at E3. And they're saying, it's like that. It's a way better game, like, clearly made by people who really liked that game and understood what was good about it. We'll just um, have to see, because like I said, the fact that it's coming in two different games... I think it's three, isn't it? I thought it was three. I Maybe heard it is two, two um, but if it if it's coming in those different game chunks, if they're all 60 bucks, that's ridiculous to pay for a single experience. It depends on whether it's a single experience. I could see them definitely segmenting the plot, or like you said, pulling some twists. Oh no, I honestly don't care, because I'm probably not going to buy any of them, just knowing me. At least not within the next decade. And it's but... PS4 exclusive, I'm pretty sure. You don't even own a PS4. Yeah, yeah. Also, Although it wouldn't surprise me if it showed up on Steam in it's like probably gonna six get months. A PC port. I would also believe it'd be on the Xbox One just because of the way Square's been doing a lot of things lately. I believe it is PlayStation exclusive right now. I, like, that would not surprise me either. A lot but... of things have been limited time exclusive, so it might come out on the, on the other console like six months later or something like that. I don't really know. I don't really mind yeah. one way or the other since i, I have a ps4 so it doesn't really matter i have a ps4 as well i don't at the at this point in time intend to buy it but if people enjoy it good for them even though, like i say i don't think the 180 bucks if it was three chunks i don't think that's worth it for a single experience says the dude that spent way too much money and gotcha games so long as you're enjoying it as long as you have fun doing it it's worth it and who's opinion. gonna buy uh persona 5 the royal here yo <laughs> so, also me but I have two comments. First of all, I I feel like the title of this article sums up probably at least Jeremy's thoughts on this. Um, Final Fantasy VII Remake isn't what I wanted, and that's why I like it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's about accurate. It's not not even not what I wanted. It's not what I expected. Yeah, and I think that's more what it's getting at. Also, I actually, I think it's interesting that we're having a bunch of video game remakes now, because the movie industry had about that same cycle, and I think it's more that the video game industry is now mature enough that we have been around long enough to have remakes. Well, I think, it, I don't even think it's so much that. I think it's that a lot of people are looking at these old games that have a lot of, like, people love these old games for a lot of reasons. But we're getting to the point in time where we have the graphical fidelity and the actual budget and technology to make the game the way that the developer wanted to make it in the first place. Well, and um, so they can go in and do that. And you got that good 20-year nostalgia cycle. And that. that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're going to kind of get to that when we get to Earthbound, right? I mean, I don't think Earthbound needs to be remade. I'm not campaigning for that personally. 
but we're going to say there are some problems with this game that in 1995 were still problems, but they weren't as big. They were just how video games were. So I think that's all I had to say about E3. We went 20 minutes on that, which I wasn't expecting. Um, any final thoughts on it that we didn't stop? We're all looking forward to Sword and Shield, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of stuff I'll... that sounds really cool in Sword and Shield. I'm really excited for that game now. I actually don't know anything about it. I watched nothing about E3. So. Uh, you should watch the Nintendo. So you've seen the Dynamaxing, right? Yeah. Oh, hey, like, did I not send you that, that gif? You, uh, you, entitled, I, think you did. I couldn't remember who sent it. So. Um, I entitled Make My yeah. Monster Grow. Yeah. And then, yeah. Um, and like they have Breath of the Wild mechanics or Breath of the Wild looking mechanics, I should say. Open it world. seems like they've really blended the Let's Go style of random encounter with the more traditional grass style of encounter. Huh. Which sounds and, neat to me. The four person raids sound like a lot of fun. Was it just up to four? I was wondering how they were going to implement that. Uh, yeah, so I know nothing about this. Other it, than it's that. up to four people can raid a single Dynamax wild Pokemon. And, I don't know if everybody can catch it or if it's only one person can try like and catch it. It looks like one person, but I also don't know what catching a Dynamax Pokemon means. Because you Dynamax your Pokemon. so Only one person can Dynamax it, so you have to yeah. actually plan it out between the team. Yeah, but I'm saying like you can already Dynamax your Pokemon, so what's the point of di- catching I, a Dynamax Pokemon? Like, I'm not saying there isn't I one. Think what I'm it saying I don't know like what it is. Was the Dynamaxed Pokemon that you can catch are stronger than the baseline Maybe versions? they have perfect IVs automatically. That would be cool. Maybe. I mean, the other way I could see it would be those raids, at least later on down the line, are Pokemon that you can't normally get in, in the game. Sword and Shield. That would make sense, too. Or... I am a little sad that it sounds like they're not doing the regional variants this time around, because I kind of liked those. Nintendo, or I should say, I'm sorry, not Nintendo, game Pokemon game. loves coming up with a really cool new idea, doing it for one game and never again. Yep. Hi, Mega Evolution. I love Mega Evolutions, and now they're gone. I was kind of eh on Z-moves, but... Z-moves were eh, but yeah, Mega Evolution was really cool. So what have you been playing, Zach? So... I have friends, and that's always a dangerous thing for me. Um, so uh, I know exactly like playing. the complete season. <laughs> that's his brothers. <laughs> that's my brothers. All of them. It's all on Netflix now. You don't need to buy it. You can just let Chandler be in the background of your life. I, so uh, over those last couple of weeks since we recorded, I bought one hundred and fifty dollars of Blood Angels. Why? Why, Zach? What have you let yourself do? It's because I am the one who's hard to get with peer pressure, and I cave first. <laughs> it's not even Fair. so much that it's that I like 40k and one of the things that always kept me away from it was number one I kept telling myself I don't like modeling but I actually kind of do um, because I find it a very zen activity to just sit there and work on putting a bunch of dudes together and I like the 40k universe a lot so being able to actually participate and do that especially because it looks like a lot of the stuff that they that they've done is actually really nice like, a lot of the sprues that come in the boxes now come with a bunch of options instead of literally just what's on the box. So, that's kind of cool. I bought Blood Angels, so I have... I've, I've only got a couple of troops choices and an elite's choice in an HQ at the moment, really. I have a tank that I'm almost done building. I ordered a couple of things over at Collector Mania as well, because I needed so, guys. It somehow never come up on the show. Should we explain briefly how Warhammer works? Or are we just going to assume it's everyone... a model game? You build, you buy models, you build them, you spend a bunch of money on paints. It's a racket, and then in the end, you get to play a little war simulation game with your little dudes and your little tanks. You mortgage and your, your bombs. You got to mortgage your... your house to get it. But it's, it's like very a, expensive. It's like a point buy system, though, right? Yeah. Like... Yeah. Um, it's a little more complicated than that because units have specific roles, and you need to, depending on how you build your army, you need to have certain roles filled. Mm-hmm. Like I. Like I said, I have 
Blood Angels, which are a subset of Space Marines, which are kind of a subset of Space Marines. There are five, there are five, five spe- specific chapters of Space Marines that have their own codex and are basically their own armies because they have enough like special units and stuff in them that makes them specific enough that they were like, we need to make these guys their own codex instead of making the Space Marines codex like 400 pages. So like, I have a lot of fast attack guys and a lot of like get up front and getting close and beat the snot out of somebody. Skirmishers. Well, like one of them, the Death Company, one of their special abilities, whenever they get hit, if they roll a six on a save, they just, they, they roll a die whenever they get wounded and then they can, if they roll a six, they just ignore the injury and keep going. So they're they're pretty neat. I bought those. I've been working on building those. I played all the way through Warhammer 40k Space Marine the game, and that's not a good game. Yeah, so you played it before. Yeah, right? I played it before. Um, it's. I don't think it's a good game. It is a very mediocre middle-of-the-road game. It is kind of fun, but like it does have some flaws. To, to regain your HP, you have to basically do glory kills on orcs, but they're much more extended than they are in, like, in Doom. In Doom, they're really quick. Regain HP, you know you're done. And that one, I've died doing the animation before I got to the point where I got my health back, which is definitely a shame and a problem. But I think it's really cheap on Steam at this point. So if you're interested, it's available and it runs well enough. What else, Zach? On Sunday, I actually got to join my buddy's clan for some games on MechWarrior Online, which was amusing in a way because, like, they were all running TeamSpeak. I don't have TeamSpeak and have no intentions of getting TeamSpeak, so I was only getting about half the conversation. And I I did pretty well on there. It was like, yep, I'm just going to uh, go over here and exist and do uh, do my thing and be with my teammates and get, like, the highest damage on at least three of the games that we played. Out of everybody, which, that was kind of nice. My bright pink Warhammer Heartbreaker, which, yeah, that, that's still a fun game. Um, It's dying. Like, it's on life support at this point, so I would not recommend if you pick it up to put any money into it. But it's, it's extant. It's extant. It's fun enough. Um, I played a little bit more of Battletech because the uh, Urban Warfare expansion just dropped. Did you fight any cool buildings? I have not fought any cool buildings yet. Um, me and Kevin played a lot of Monster Hunter World. I went up against Lunastra. And got I played my, a little Monster Hunter World with you. I got my butt handed to me a bunch of times, and then today, before we recorded, I actually beat Lunastra. That was fun. That one's hard because you fight it in a in the arena, so it's like a cage match, and it has an ability that basically deals damage across the entire arena, so it is very possible to die every time it does that, but I managed to do it. I did the same thing Kevin did. I we both use the uh, the Legiana bow to take it down. It's weak to ice damage, so that's the best ice bow in the game, especially because it's got really high um element damage. Start up Fire Emblem Fates again. Which side? Neither. Okay. The Revelation side. I'm still planning on uh, shipping the royal families together. And that makes sense, except for then you don't get to marry any of your hot sisters slash hot brothers if you're playing a girl, <laughs> I guess. Oh. I think it's always because, like, it amuses me to mess with, like, the standard thing in those. So I have a female character in that one. Although I realized, like, after I got started on it, there's a character who I think can only be supported slash married by either either Ryoma or your character. And if your character is a female, you can't marry her. She's a wyvern or, yeah, wyvern writer. I think she's actually a wyvern lord. I think she starts as a prestige class or a second tier class. But so I'm gonna be working on the game. Uh, 
kind of some of them you get pretty early on, like your older sister, Camilla. Actually, you get her before I thought you did. She shows up and she is a prestige class right when you get her. She can use axes or tomes. Bunch of the classes in that one I forgot get like tomes, bows, or stabs. They did a lot of that in Awakening and if is... Or I guess it's called Fate, right? That's the English name? Fates, yeah. Fates is riffing a lot on Awakening stuff, because Awakening was so popular. Yeah, so there's a lot of that. Like, I have a I have a character who can use axes or tomes, basically, either axes or magic. Yeah, that's a weird combination, and I'm into it. I decided to go with it, but I'm like, this is kind of not useful. My character's running around with swords or tomes, because my options were swords or tomes or swords and um, staves. I'm like... I already have a lot of characters that can use staves. I already have two butlers and two maids. What do I need staves for? Uh, and two sisters. When that came up, I didn't have the I didn't have the uh, the maid yet. But it's like I have a butler. I have a character that just uses staves. I have my two sisters that can use staves. The other sister can be promoted to use staves or lances. I decided to give her the staves instead of the lances and bows because of the fact that she's a Pegasus rider and therefore has a lot of mobility to get to yeah. hot spots. So it's it means not super durable. Pegasus riders are really, really durable when it comes to magic damage. Oh. And they're not good against bows because they're a flyer and their defense is lower. Wyverns typically have higher defense but are more vulnerable to magic damage. Except if you're playing, was it Path of Radiance or Radiant Dawn? Radiant where you Dawn have... is where the Witch King Harkis <laughs> just destroys everybody. He's really good in Path of Radiance as well, but you don't get him till it, super late. Har, and... his, he does, it's not it, it's, not right, Harkin, it's, it's just Har. Harkin is in uh, Harkin under Blazing Bo- is in Blazing Bla- uh, Blazing Sword, the one we actually played for the uh, the first one we played for this podcast. You are correct. Anything else, Zach? No, that's it. What have you been playing, Tyler? Uh, so I couldn't sleep one night a while ago, and I was in the middle of playing The Long Dark. I'm like, this is great, but I don't want to do this right now, because this is way too high stress. And I'm in search of the best, or a functional, like, stranded on an island, and also you can be a pirate game. So Animal Crossing 2020. <laughs> uh, isn't that called Sea of Thieves? Yeah, there's not a lot to do in Sea of Thieves. There's also it- Pixel Piracy. Uh, yeah, also not quite there, because Pixel Piracy is like a resort, like a, it's like FTL, but you're on a pirate ship. Couldn't you just boot up and play, uh, what's it called? Uncharted Waters New Horizons? Doesn't scratch that, it, like, I want Or more... Minecraft and just do random seeds until you're on an island. But also, I want to be able to, like, make a boat at some point. Like, I thought Salt was going to be this, and I think I just got the game too early. I should go back to it at some point. I wanted Raft to be more of that, but Raft ended up being kind of... Still needs some challenge built into it. Yeah, it needs something, something more, a little spice. So while I was like looking through a random game queue, one of the games that suggested to me based on all these random survival games I already own, like Subnautica, Subnautica was actually probably the closest to scratching that itch for me. And goddamn, that's a good game. Anyway, um, they're making another one of those. I know. I already own it. I'm just waiting for it to get out of alpha before I play it because I want them to finish the story first. Oh, yeah. That's always a good idea. Never play a story-based game while it's in alpha. That just seems silly to do that. Or to not do that. My bad. I Indiegogo'd a game called CrossCode years ago, but it's still in, like, just post-beta, so they're still tweaking a lot of it. I've been sitting on that for a year and a half, waiting for them to, like, say, yeah, we're done now. We'll see if that ever actually happens. Maybe I should just play it. Anyway, so one of the games suggested to me by Steam, based on all these other games I already have, is Stranded Deep. I'm like, oh, this sounds great. And it's like actually surprisingly highly reviewed. And I started playing it and I f- hate this game. I cannot express 
how horrible I think this really? game is. Really? It's really, really annoying to me for a variety of reasons. How so? Like, what, what uh, about it is annoying? So, first of all, your inventory is only what you have in your wheels. So you have, like, a, a pop-up wheel, like, you hold tab or something, and you have, like, a pop-up wheel, and you choose your item from that. And that's all you have. Your hands are an item. If you want to pick up something, you have to, like, then go pull it out of the wheel in your inventory, pick it up, put it on the ground, then go back to the empty slot in your inventory and pick the item up. Oh, God. So already that's annoying. So, and, like, things don't stack, kind of. You can pick up four pieces of wood. But at one point, I had four pieces of wood and two pieces of wood and two pieces of wood. And then my inventory was full, and I would try to pick up more wood, and it would not put it on one of the other sacks. But if I put them all on the ground and then pick them all up again, it put them into two sacks instead of three different ones. And then I could pick up the other one. So already, that's like, I don't God, even know what's going why? on there. Yeah, so that's bad. When you hit an object to mine it, because that's how all these games work, right? Is you hit an object and you mine it. It has like... I'm trying to think of the name of this. It's like Bounce or something. It's like a standard JavaScript animation where something goes like, like kind of like it's made out of rubber. Every single item you interact with that involves you mining it does this while you're hitting it. And it's like the least, like, okay, a lot of games will do like the tree shakes a little bit. Like Minecraft doesn't even bother with that. It just makes wood noises, basically. But like even Raph, like when you're chopping down trees, the tree shakes a little bit. But it looks like a tree shaking, not like it's made out of like a clippy So it looks animation. like you're whacking rubber. Yeah, <laughs> it looks like pseudo widow, and it's about to come to life and punch you. And, uh, it looks like a weeble. It's wobbling, but it don't fall down. I don't know. It looks really chintzy. Like everything about the UI in this looks like just incredibly chintzy. Like they took the lamest possible route for animation on this, and then all the mechanics are actually just not that great. Like the the crafting menu is terrible. It's like this awkward little sidebar. The tutorial is awful but mandatory i don't know it's i played about a half hour before i'm like steam please give me a refund which is the only game i have ever refunded in steam i the only game i think i've ever refunded was doom 2016 and that was only because my computer couldn't run it at the time similar situation titanfall i'm actually a little sad i never played titanfall it's pretty good it was pretty fun yeah i still remember having that moment where my titan came around the corner after i died and i got all panicky because i didn't know what was going on i thought i was gonna die what else tyler um, so, obviously, no more of that. What else did I do? I reinstalled Payday a while ago, just on the off chance. I, like, had been wanting to play it again. Um, so I picked it up and played a couple matches. It's the exact same game, but they added, like, eight more missions. But they're all basically the same mission, you remember. That's kind of the problem with Payday, is that it got to the point where it's like, this is literally the same mission I've already done a hundred times. Yeah, I've heard they added a lot of stuff, and they technically did. Like, some of the new missions are actually really cool. Uh, some of the new missions are actively worse than the ones that existed when we stopped playing. Like, some of them are really bad, to the extent that they, it almost feels like it was made by a fan who, like, liked the game but didn't understand anything about making a game. Oh, really? Uh, on the other hand, that might have also just been because I was playing by myself with the AI in, like, loud missions mostly, and they are not super intelligent. They're more competent in loud missions and useful in loud missions than they are in quiet missions, though. They can carry bags now, which is nice. Um, even in quiet missions, you can throw them to them. That worries me because I don't know that I trust the AI to actually take them to where I want them. I think they're immune to being spotted, though, so... So they can be lost and invisible. <laughs> I just had an image of that uh, one mission that we always did that was a pure quiet mission. You could only be silent. Part of it was stealing the armor. Shadow Raid? Yeah, I think that was it. 
and just having one of them like toss them a bag and then having one of them walk out the front door. <laughs> and I think that's pretty much exactly what happens. It was okay. I have left it installed because I like payday, but it's not an all-the-time food. Also, I forgot how long some of those missions can end up being. It's like 35 to 45 minutes of it's, just shooting people. Especially if there are multiple, if there's multiple things you have to drill or move around. Because waiting for that drill, if it breaks down, goddamn. I went for Shotgun Runner as my build, which is not one I've ever done before. It wasn't a very good build, but it was a lot of fun. Let's hear, what else did I get up to? I played Lovers in a Dangerous Space Time. I don't think I've talked about that on the show you yet. You have not. But, Lovers is pretty good. Uh, yeah, it was I don't f- remember if I talked about it when I played it or not. But I also I've never even heard of this. At least a year ago. It's like a cooperative bullet hell shooter um it's kind of. like i'm trying to th- i had a really good analogy for it it's when like you it, mentioned it but i couldn't re- can't remember what it was now the way um, i described it before i played it is that it sounds like playing ftl except you are an individual crewman yeah that makes sense basically you have a ship and it's got kind of five functions it's got some guns it's got like a death laser with a cooldown. it's got a shield that you can move where the shield is to block fire and it's got a pilot and also a map, but you don't use that super frequently, so... You each play a crewman, but typically you have one fewer crewman than there are stations that need to be manned on the ship. So there's so a little got... bit of sh- frantic shuffling around as you so try to coordinate. So it's a little bit like Artemis, then? Yes, kind of, kind of um, but it's more arcadey, I guess. It's... Oh, like you said, more of a bullet hell, like you're flying the ship through a level. Like the way you move from station to station is like it's a platformer, basically. So you have to like climb up and down some ladders and stuff to get over there. So it's it takes time to move between stations. And there's also a trade off after every level, you'll get an upgrade or two and you can choose a station to stick it on. And there's like three different types of upgrade and they don't stack on a lot of them. So you have to choose what you want where or like coordinating between your pilot and your shield or to like shield in the direction you're going or not it's frantic it's fun i mean it's definitely like a party game i mean i feel like i could with the right friend sit down and want to play the entire campaign also no i agree but yes it's definitely more than artemis a kind of funky party game funky i don't know that's (laughs) right but it's got funky fresh flow that was pretty interesting i played keep talking and no one explodes with some random strangers and unfortunately we're all engineers which is like cheating at that game so (laughs) <laughs> what, y'all just knew what you had to do? A lot of it is like puzzle solving and code breaking. And clear communication. And clear communication, and like all of us do that on a day-to-day, like that's our job. So <laughs> it was fun because it's a fun game. But like we were down to five seconds on one of them and like no one was panicking. We're all just like relaying the information. And then we solved it with five seconds left and we're like, that was close. But like I've played it with some other people who would definitely be like, we would have lost minutes before that somehow because they were panicking. <laughs> The countdown timer actually goes faster if you get things wrong, so a second is no longer a second. Let's see here, what else have I played? Oh, okay, that's the big one. I was trying to think if there was any other random nonsense before I got to the big one. The big one is I've been playing The Last of Us. That's a good game. I keep meaning to play it. I kind of don't want any spoilers. I thought about it and then just realized I don't care. Yeah, it's a good game. It's got some issue. Like, I was playing it and recognized the gameplay loop, and I'm like, I feel like this is a little too rote but also it's good if that makes any like it's predictable what is going to happen in terms of pacing but that's not necessarily a bad thing i just like it, how would i mix it up that's not necessarily a bad thing if it's a fun, if if the loop is fun yeah no the loop is fun the problem is like most of what i want is just like the characters walking around t- interacting and talking with each other 
And then all, there's like this random shooting shit, I guess. I have to kill some people in between that. Also some zombies, I guess. The zombies are actually way less dangerous than humans. It turns Welcome out. to being a Kingdom Hearts fan. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I'm not sure how, like you need to break up the dialogue and stuff somehow, but I'm not sure how I would have done it otherwise. I like how Doom 2016 did it. It doesn't? You just, it's yes. just pure action all the time? Yeah, that's a good... You punch the plot out of the window and throw it in the garbage and you just... Until uh, the guy is like, no, I'm going to plot at you. And then you're like, no, leave me alone. Let me kill... Let me either kill you or get back to killing demons. What I will say is I really like The Last of Us and I'm looking forward to playing more of it. I'm just getting to the point where Ellie and Joel are starting to be adorable together. I think that's, that's pretty much it. What have you been up to, Jeremy? I finished Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. I don't really have anything to say about it that I didn't last week. I feel like I covered everything that was good about it, pretty much. Uh, and I was more than two-thirds of the way done then. Are, are you starting Recoded? Is that your next one? Recoded will be the next one, but I actually wanted to play all of Earthbound for myself as much as for this podcast. So that's the only thing, other thing I played this week. Yeah, spoilers, I'm going to probably finish Earthbound, but I think I'm about halfway through. So You're a little less than that, but you're to the part where like it kind of opens up and it gets much easier because you have three targets for the enemies to hit and triple the inventory space and a lot of... And the... a lot more combat options. Yeah. So we played Earthbound this week, which, as I said at the beginning, is one of my favorite games. Like, about 10 years ago, not so much anymore, I would always kind of, as a thought experiment, try to think, hey, what are my five favorite games of all time? And Earthbound never really cracked in, or even the top 10. So it's not actually that important to me, but it is a game that I, like, played the most when I was in my emulation phase. I played Chrono Trigger a little, I played a little bit of Mega Man X. But Earthbound is really the one that I played all the way through. And I was part of that Starman.net community, not a major contributor or anything, but, but I was there. certainly part of the culture in its heyday. I think I ran into this one at one point in the past, but I've never, like, this is a game that I, like, I know exists, I know is a big popular thing. I think that's mostly what most people think of it, is they know it exists and they know people like it for some reason. I don't even know if popular is correct even today. I don't remember if this discussion was on the mics or not. It was. But it's very much a cult classic. Like, there is a huge community that's very devoted to it and that loves it. And I think just because they're so evangelical about it, and it's a long JRPG that not everyone wants to play, but that everyone recognizes is an important contributor to video games, people just chalk it up and say, yeah, that's a good one. And like when you say Earthbound, a lot of people who have played it for like 20 minutes are like, oh yeah, that great game. So what I will say about it, because you're trying to describe like how it never really hit your top five list. And like, I don't even know that it's ever been even in my like top 20 list, but it's very high in my I'm fond of it list, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I think Zach's going to disagree with this pretty hard, but this is a game that I would encourage people, hey, play this one. It is worth your time. It's got a lot of pitfalls, which we're going to get to in a little bit, but I genuinely think the high moments are worth studying. And especially if you have any interest in making a JRPG style game. Give this one a look. I agree with that last statement. I would only recommend this to specific people. So I don't know that I would necessarily say don't ever play this. I just don't think it's nearly as good as the praise that's heaped on it. Yeah, and I think I agree with that. This used to be, I in my head, this was one of my favorite games. And I so, like it's still one of my favorite games, but for entirely different reasons than it used to be. So if you've never played Earthbound, it is a JRPG. And it's kind of a parody of JRPGs in a lot of ways, specifically the original Dragon Quest games. It takes place in a, I was going to say modern setting. It's like but 1990s. It's incredibly <laughs> 90. 
the like most 90s thing that like is sort of a hurdle of the game and not the best design but something that i think is actually better now than it was then is you have an atm card and you have to withdraw your money from the atm instead of giving it to the bank a la dragon quest and atms are just such a 90s thing we don't have anymore <laughs> that it really like kind of set the time period for me also you can only save via rotary phone <laughs> no, you can also say via payphone. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> Remember those? And like the hey, other. If anything, Devil May Cry 5 has taught me that payphones do still exist somewhere. And also, instead of just taking selfies, you have a photographer who is a professional who will drop from the sky sent by God <laughs> to photograph your progress on occasion. And then warp back out. I found him incredibly annoying. Yeah. <laughs> I am I find him charming. This game does interrupt you a lot, and that's maybe the biggest offender. But there is a certain amount of, hey, like, this is an important thing I did, I guess, when he shows up. They use him maybe a little too much. In particular, I can think of, like, when you are at the entrance of the museum, he shows up. And then also when you go up to the giant dinosaur, which is optional, you don't have to do that. But if you happen to go into the museum and then do that right away, he shows up twice in a row, and that's a lot. Is yeah. this in Foreside? I don't yeah. remember Dinosaur. Okay. I remember at one point I was like walking up to something and then all of a sudden I stopped moving and he was, and, and then like, I'm why? like, why did I just get frozen? And this dude showed up. I'm like, oh, it's this again. Well, no, I, I'm, I was playing a lot of it without the sound on because I was playing it on my phone and there were like, when your dad calls you, I'm like, why am I not moving? And the only indication that you have that you need to press a button is the fact that the phone was ringing. And that's a thing that when you were playing this in 1995, why wouldn't you be playing it with yeah, the sound sure. on? So it's a completely forgivable thing. But I was also playing a lot of this while listening to podcasts or other music. And it uses a lot of sound cues. And I do think you should give this game your full attention if you're playing it, despite the fact that I just said I wasn't playing it that way. <laughs> So I don't really begrudge it for that, but that is a way in that if they remade it today, I think some more visual cues for that sort of thing would be um, so, valid. I mean, I'm going to say, hint, I played this on double speed for most of the entire time, and I think that is an improvement to this game. Well, I think one of the reasons why you want to you having some uh, visual cues in addition if you were to make it today is because you got a lot of people who are doing multiple things at the same time. Yeah, and I want to talk about the sound a little more, but before that, I want to give some history on this game. Uh, it's a sequel to a game called Mother, which is an NES game that was very similar. It's got some interesting story, but we might play it in the future because it's been released under the title Earthbound Beginnings now, and I think I'll save it for then. But this is the second game made by Ape, which was kind of dissolved right after they finished making Earthbound and recreated as a company called Creatures Incorporated, which maybe huh. you've heard of. They are responsible for a lot of Pokemon content. In fact, pretty much every Pokemon game that's not a mainline RPG was created by creatures. So Snap, Stadium, Gale, Gale of Darkness, Coliseum, those are all creatures things. And if you're, you don't even have to look at for it, really. When I was playing this back when I was younger, you can see a ton of Pokemon in Earthbound. And it makes a lot of sense. And that's just because a lot of people who were working on Earthbound went to work on Pokemon. The like creative lead of Earthbound and the creative lead of Pokemon did not work on the, the other game, but... There's still a lot of stuff like the bike in particular just feels very Pokemon, a lot of the naming stuff, and even kind of the way towns are designed, even though they're yep. much bigger and earthbound, has a very Pokemon feel, at least to me. Yeah, no, I'm seeing that a lot more now that you're saying it. I guess I can kind of see it. I hadn't really thought about it, but yeah, I guess it makes sense. And I think the aesthetic is the like greatest strength of earthbound. Putting it in that 90s setting creates some fun humor. I really like the ATM gag, as annoying as it is as a mechanic. Dragon Quest was still doing it at the same time. And I 
like the like no enemies don't drop money your dad's just putting money into your account and yes mechanically it's exactly the same you're getting money put into your account for defeating enemies but it's not like you're going through this hobo's pockets for loose <laughs> change at the end of the fight well and also that means your dad is devoting some portion of his paycheck to helping his son who he hasn't seen in years on a quest to defeat an alien overlord i guess from out I, of space and time that one's just kind of annoying because you have to go get money out of the atm before you can buy anything instead of just it, doing the smarter thing and just having it be drawn out of your account like it well yeah i mean like i said cards. that's the thing about the 90s compared to now yeah. if this game was made today or like or with like 2017 as the setting you would have to just have a debit card that you paid from right but this is friendlier than the corresponding mechanic in Dragon Quest. Because in Dragon Quest, if you happen to like go too deep in a dungeon and get knocked out, you, you have all it. your money on you. So you lose half of it. Whereas in Earthbound, you only lose what you've taken. Everything that you've gained from being in the dungeon is safe in your bank account. So while there are definitely problems with the death mechanics in Earthbound, and again, I, we will get to the problems with Earthbound in a little bit, it's friendlier than Dragon Quest in that regard. The ATM never bugged me. It doesn't bug me either. That's not true. There's one, uh, again, I will get to downsides of Earthbound in a little bit. There's one thing about the ATM that really bugs me. But as a mechanic, I find it, like, it's charming and cute, and I find that outweighs the inconvenience of it, even though there is an inconvenience element. I will also mention one more time, I just like, man, the music in this game, I, except... Actually, I don't like the cave music. I don't really like the battle music. Every I, the battle music really grew on me because I, I was literally thinking like, this doesn't sound like a battle. This is kind of like uh, it's not cheery exactly, but it's kind of this happy-go-lucky. Well, some of it is weird. Like it fits tonally with the weird things you're fighting most of the time. Sometimes it really doesn't, and that's mostly what I found jarring. I didn't really care for most of the music. That's why I ended up kind of doing the same thing Jeremy did, and I had something else going on over the top of it. I love the Onet theme. The Onet theme, so the Tucson good. theme, I actually like a lot more than the Onet theme, but the Onet theme is good. I like the combat theme, like I said. The boss theme, which gets so, really weird, I the like. The combat, you know there's like six of them, right? Well, the main combat theme. The da, 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 that's the, one I feel like is yeah, the main one. Anyway. There, are there are lots a lot of, of different ones, so depending on which enemies you're fighting, I think they're... They're all over the place. I think they're trying to set a tone because, like, you got some creepy enemies. You got some that are mushrooms with legs, which I think is the one you're thinking of. Yeah, I think it um, is. And you've got, like, just people who are, like, influenced by Gygus to attack you. The enemy variety is also, for the most part, amusing. There are some that I'm like, okay, yeah, it was the 90s. Like, the sentient barf you end up fighting kind of near the mid-game. Oh, um, yeah. I and like about that's that. kind of eye rolling, but they're like the new age retro hippie. Like that's just that's that name still like brings kind of a smile to my face. Or like the sentient speed limit th signs you have to fight in Foreside. It's just like what is this? Um, I really like the guy who got drunk at a business party and is accosting you on your way home. Um, also good. I didn't encounter any of those. I just was like, yeah. These are enemies that I would picture in pretty much any RPG game. And then you, it, obviously you have the ones at the start, the spiteful crows. Instead of instead of rats of unusual size, you have crows of unusual size. But effectively, it's the same thing. With sunglasses. You also have angry snakes. D snakes, yep. dogs. Angry snakes. Mushrooms. Those are annoying. Yes, they are. Also, depending on what they are when you defeat them, it has like a different they died text. Like zombies return to the dust of the earth, I believe is yes, what it says. Yes, that's what zombies do. Um, a lot of things just stop moving. Yeah, plants especially just stop moving. The drunken idiot calms down. Uh, all animals just become tame. Yeah. Yep. Some random humans become tame, which I find <laughs> funny. Uh, like the punks early on. 
that's maybe something we'll get into, but I love the punks, and man, I wish more of the game was that. So, like, I feel like one of the reasons the game sticks out is that the writing is, for the most part, pretty humorous and clever. Not every joke is going to land, obviously, but I think really one of the attempts of this was like I said, parodying Dragon Quest, but also taking a spin on it. I think that the creator of this, whose name I'm not going to take a stab at, he embraced the idea that you need to talk to everybody, but he just kind of thought most of them were boring. So I really felt a lot of effort was put into making most of the NPCs worth talking to. And a lot of them at least have something amusing to say once. Yeah, and like not every joke lands, but I use the someone might take pot shots with you at a machine with a machine gun joke at the front of this because that is the time I like laughed out loud, like fully belly laugh when a guy just said that to this little child. <laughs> One of my favorites is you're wandering around a bar talking to everyone and someone's like, stop wandering around the bar talking to everyone. You're annoying the entire room. Or um, this is not a like random NPC. You have to talk to this guy. But when you go on the sea voyage, you guys like, hey, it could only cost you your life. And you got that for free. <laughs> That's good, actually. I didn't spend a lot of time talking to people because most of the... When I did try talking to people to find out where I was supposed to go next, none of them were helpful. Yeah, Therefore, but, none of them were of any use to me. Yeah, very few of them are helpful. But if you talk to everyone, eventually you do find the way to go, so... This is segueing pretty well into some of the game's faults, but before we get there, I want to talk about the way encounters start on the world map because that's probably the best mechanic Earthbound has that every JRPG should have took, and it's a crime that it only Persona caught on to that. Well, well, Chrono Trigger did it too. Chrono Trigger does something similar, but it's also different. Chrono Trigger, the encounters are all at fixed space on the map. You go up to them, the encounter starts, it's uh, the place on the map you're at is the background of the fight, but you can't interact with the encounter or change it in any way from the map. I do kind of wish that Persona 5 gave you experience for the... Uh fights that you just automatically win but yeah so you automatically win fights that you're over leveled for in this basically but before that it's not random encounters it's yep. you see the sprites of the enemies on the overworld and depending on the enemy and how your level compares to yours they will either aggressively go after you ignore just kind of ignore or... you or actively run from you although some enemies regardless of how over leveled you are for them will always seek you out and then just immediately die uh the walking mushrooms yeah, like i said it does so... also depend on the mechanics of the specific enemy if you touch an enemy it starts a encounter jrpg style and that's pretty much there are some interesting battle mechanics we'll talk on it a bit but that's not nothing super innovative but if they get you from behind the jrpg swirl is red and they get the first attack on you like an ambush into jrpg but conversely if you hit them from behind you get a green swirl and you get the first attack and like we've alluded to a bit if your party is strong enough that you can wipe out the enemies in one hit the battle doesn't even start you just get the experience, and if there would be an item drop, the item drop from the fight. Which is, it actually has an auto-combat feature. Problem is, the characters would almost never make the choices that I would make. So. Yeah, and auto-combat features were common at this era of RPGs, and they were pretty much never good. I, I don't like any kind of auto-combat. The closest thing to automatic anything I used was, at one point I used the auto-driver in Forza 3, because I didn't want to drive the... Uh, High-performance cars, because I found them annoying. I actually kind of wonder if the reason that it's in there at all is because it was the same logic they used for determining whether or not it should even start the fight, and if you just went through and didn't take any damage on auto-combat, then it wouldn't go through the fight? Possibly. I don't know. Also, a cool thing is some of the dungeons, specifically the sanctuaries, after you clear them, all the enemies run from you, regardless of your level. So that's actually a cool way you can get some extra experience that like makes you feel powerful after you beat the dungeon. I don't know if I like it more or less than just warping you to the start like a lot of JRPGs do, 
But it's a nice, if you want to leave, you can just leave right away. Or if you want to like get experience, you have these free sneak attacks and often free auto wins. Or to... finish getting to the treasure. Yeah. I love that all the treasure instead of treasure chests is just like someone left presents laying around everywhere. It's the same thing in function. It is, but it's an aesthetic choice that I like. What else in a 90s setting would you use to have treasure? Duffel bags? I would do duffel bags. Foot lockers. Uh, there are a couple lockers, but... Foot lockers? What exactly is a foot locker? Really quick segue, because I actually don't know. It's a place where you buy shoes in the 90s. <laughs> yeah, thank you. They still exist, I think. Yeah, but you buy shoes on Amazon now, you barbarian. I don't. I, I, I buy don't shoes in an actual brick-and-mortar store because I want to make sure the damn things fit. You know, I said that, but now that I wear almost exclusively randomly designed Converse's, actually, I just get all my shoes online because I know a size that fits, and then I can just mash cactuses onto my shoes. I avoid wearing shoes when and wherever possible. And this is why we will never get along, Zach. Why? Because I don't like shoes? No, because I wear shoes almost all the time. I don't even like wearing them, but I do anyway. I just don't like shoes, which is why I generally wear flip-flops. Anyway, we're getting sidetracked about footlockers. So one more bit of praise I really want to give Earthbound. The combat system is not really anything special. It's basically Dragon Quest combat. But all the characters at least have a bit of a unique flair. You start with Ness, who is kind of, I don't want to say overpowered, but he's the Dragon Quest hero. He ends up playing a bit like a paladin because you have some offensive magic, but mostly you want to heal, and he's a real good physical fighter. Yeah, he's he a good all-rounder. And he ends up with your highest HP pool. Second, you get Paula, who's basically a wizard. She gets a mana-draining spell so she can restore her own mana. She's not like as weak as a wizard in a typical JRPG, but she's your weakest character, assuming everyone's equally leveled with physical attacks. Yeah, she's got okay physical, but mostly she's got good sniping magic. I mean, sorry, psychic powers. She also gets the prey command, which I actually like a lot. It's a little random. There's one of 10 things that can happen. I was um, wondering what that did. I got really lucky with it in my run this time. I only really use it when you first get Paula and she's underleveled. But there's one thing that can happen that just does 300 damage to a random enemy, which is super good in the early game, and I just kept getting that. But Isn't it, that like a uh, last level of lightning? It's just a specific ability. It's just like 300 damage. Last level of the lightning is three attacks. So. Oh, okay. But also, she can like heal you for very small amounts, like prey in Final Fantasy, or she can cause status conditions to the entire fight. There's no strictly bad options, but there are ones that like make the entire fight start crying, which is like more detrimental to you because your status conditions persist. Yeah. Crying, I think, specifically doesn't, but... I have no idea what half of the status conditions do. Either, crying is so. blind. <laughs> okay, gotcha. There's definitely one where you're possessed by a ghost That's who maybe has the random effects. weird and interesting one. Yeah, the ghost just acts every round in combat, and he can either do minor damage or cost you a turn. There's also being infected by a mushroom. Which is incredibly freaking it's very annoying. annoying. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely the worst one from a game design perspective, and the, like, the worst one from it's the one you don't want the most. It's confusion, a la Pokemon or other Sometime. JRPGs, but also it changes your controls and you can get used to them because they become permanently assigned but it's just nope. a pain in the nope, ass they, they randomly changing. change every so often well every couple of minutes yeah you just have to get used to them again I, again i'm not trying to defend it because i do think it's a bad mechanic especially because it's one of the hardest to remove your like random status effect healing can't remove it you have to find either someone who buys mushrooms or one of the healers in the hospital to get rid of it but the thing I really wanted to talk about is the rolling HP meter, which I think is actually very interesting. Your HP is displayed kind of like a slot machine. And when you get hit, instead of just going down, it rolls down like a slot machine. And so if you take mortal damage, it will say, hey, you took 200 points of mortal damage. But if you have 91 health, it takes a couple 
of seconds for your health to roll down. So if you can either finish the fight or get a healing item before you run out of HP, you don't actually die. And if you heal someone who's losing HP, the heal takes effect from where their HP is when the heal goes off, not from where it would be at the end of the damage. Yeah, say similarly, if you manage to end the fight while it's still rolling down, it just stops at wherever the fight ends, which is interesting. It's probably the most interesting facet of the combat system that they implemented. Other than the encounter system, if you count that. But what really makes it interesting is a lot of JRPGs in the end game. You just get so powerful that you don't really have to worry about enemy attacks because if enemies could kill you in one hit, the game wouldn't be fun. But Earthbound gets around that because when you have 600 HP, it takes a really long time for that to drain. So a mortal attack is danger to you, but it's not like instantly you lose a character and have to spend a bunch of resources. As long as you keep a level head, it's pretty easy to get a heal off before they go down. It's also... uh possible that you take a mortal hit and then just don't die anyway because the battle ends uh no guts oh that it won't say a mortal hit if that happens okay there's also a gut stat which affects your criticals and also sometimes just cause characters to hang on with one hp from a blow that would otherwise be lethal i guess like a critical defense equivalent the slingshots ever seem to miss way more frequently to you that's their effect slingshots and yo-yos are more powerful than other equipment at that level but they have lower accuracy yeah, so, and because of that, I think I always prefer bats, at least for Ness. A lot of people will put them on Paula because of her lower offense, especially early on, but I also tend to prefer just the more uh, me reliant con- weapons. I'll take consistency over Yeah, I prefer Surf hits. to Hydro Pump any day. Yeah, but that is another thing I actually like about the combat system. The rolling HP bar is definitely the most interesting element, but the fact that there is choice like that, I think, is better than a lot of other JRPGs. One thing I don't like about Earthbound is it gives you more than enough money to always buy the upgrades, even with a very minor amount of combat. And I always prefer when that has to be a choice instead of just a tax of go to the shop and be sure you upgrade. Yeah, that's one of the things I think we all liked about the first couple Final Fantasies is that money was actually a valuable resource. But not only that, a lot of your status effect abilities are actually useful in combat on a per enemy basis. Some enemies are just much more vulnerable to status effects. And why that can be a little guy, dang it, Jeff, the third character you get, gets the ability to just tell what an enemy's weaknesses are. And so that can drastically change the way you approach certain enemies. If you know, hey, if I paralyze this, this thing's out of the fight, and it costs me some mana, but maybe that's worth it, actually, because then I save all the HP he would have dealt. And that's really useful on the bosses, because they become much more interesting fights when they have specific weaknesses, either to status ailments or specific attacks. Which is, I mean, to be fair, Final Fantasy has been doing that for a long time. I just feel like Earthbound does it a bit better. I don't know why exactly. Well, Maybe like, it's the spy ability specifically that lets you tell. Like, Final Fantasy X is one of my favorite games in that regard, and I think it does it better than Earthbound, for example. Yeah, and that's but the I, one I was thinking of specifically, but... Because then, like, you have specific characters you use against specific enemies to take them down faster. Yeah, but like, I like how had... Persona 5 does oh, it. Persona you have to fi- figure it out. Yeah, Persona 5's perfect, though, right? Like, the thing about <laughs> Earthbound that I like maybe the most is that Persona draws a ton from it, I feel. Persona does it better because it's had more time to refine it. I mean, I'm not going to argue Earthbound's a better game than Persona any day of the week. I mean, I feel like Shinten games in general do this really, really yeah, well. But... That's the strength of Shinten games is they have super dangerous enemies, which are allowed to be super dangerous because your abilities are super capable. And I feel like Earthbound is a step towards that from Dragon Quest and Final Fantasy. Certainly, I keep saying we're going to put off the <laughs> uh, downsides for later. So like, it's kind of time to get into them, I think. There are definitely things about this game that A, show its age, or B, are kind of bad to begin with. Uh, Probably the biggest thing is the signposting. Oh, man, this game barely, like, 
it tell it tells you get okay, so your next character is in this area. So I went and found where she was supposed to be like, oh no, she was kidnapped by these people. I'm like, okay, so how do I get there? And the game doesn't bother to tell you what you have to do in order to get to where they took the character. Yeah, which is both good. I lucked into it, but even so it does kind of funnel you that way. It's kind of the only way you can go, but it's not as good as Pokemon, which will often block off like a lot. A thing I think about a lot is good game design is that ledge after Mountain Moon, because that cuts off a ton of the early game for a long time, which prevents you from looking there for stuff because it's a part of the game where there's nothing there. And that's actually really good design because it limits where you can look for things. And Earthbound never has the courtesy to do that. Like, I got to the point where there's just a block in the way, and it's like, okay, I can't go through here, but I'm supposed to go through here. How do I get rid of this thing? And the game doesn't tell you how to do that. I had to look it up. What's stupid is I already did the thing, and I got there, and I still didn't have the thing I needed to do the thing. Um, And then I had to backtrack anyway, so I ended up... (laughs) And I want to talk about that moment in particular, because I think it's not the most egregious bit of Earthbound, uh, but it's definitely a big, I think... If you told me... Like, especially if you played this as a kid, I got that far and couldn't figure out how to advance. That's totally reasonable. And I think the thing that really says volumes about this that I know I said off the mics is that when Nintendo released this game, they bundled it with a strategy guide. You got one basically for free. And I think that says volumes about the signposting in this game. Oh, yeah, man, it tells the, you it's really, really bad. The the intro or entrance of the Saturn Village, for example. Well, to be fair, a character does tell yeah, you. Yeah, someone tells you, and they're very difficult to miss. But it's also a really bad thing. Yeah, because that you literally have to not touch your game for three minutes. No, yep. that said, I had a bunch of Discord messages recently, and I wanted to <laughs> check them. So that was actually I'm like, oh, I have to wait for three minutes. Sweet, this is the best opportunity for this. But that is a best case scenario to that. And I agree, it's a bad like thing to do. It's like, don't play the game for a minute. And it, it do- the game does it later in a way that is much better with Poo, yeah. but also you have to not do anything for about 20 seconds, which is perfectly I'd reasonable. I kind of compare, uh, I, like, I think about that as the same, like because you have to look up a guide to get a lot of the progress stuff because the game likes to hide it from you. It's guy dang it. It's guy dang it, and it's worse than it is for like Ogre Battle, which has a lot of that in it. But Ogre Battle, it's all optional crap to do it with it's like yes you have to do all this random crap in order to unlock stuff but this one is like yes this is critical path stuff you have to do but we're going to hide it behind six different walls of obfuscation i guess my thing is i never looked at a guide i just like i got lost a couple times but i muddled through eventually yeah i was going to say i agree with you it's bad design to play devil's advocate for a minute when you get to that pencil statue and get can't get past it you know that's where you're supposed to go so your like instinct is to go back and the game wants to encourage you to talk to everybody. And if you do that, you will find Apple Kid and be able to get the way through. So again, I think it's bad game design, especially from the perspective of 2019, where a lot of the air quotes problems of Dragon Quest that Earthbound was trying to solve are better solved by just not including them in the first place. If the city was the size of most of the Pokemon towns where they're much smaller and therefore much fewer people to talk to and have to try and puzzle together what you're supposed to be doing, that would make a lot of sense. If with Given how large they are, having to talk to every person in the town to find out where I'm going, you are now just wasting my time. I actually, so I actually enjoy talking to everyone in this game, and I actually find going to a new city almost, like, overwhelming because of all the new NPCs I have to go interact with. And I think cutting it down to a smaller size would have helped with that. I honestly don't even think the signposting is the worst sin this game commits. I think it's mostly just labyrinthine area design. I I hesitate to call it level design, but it's level design. That's the thing I was going to bring up next. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's as bad as the same posting, frankly. 
But the dungeons are boring. To be fair, most of them are pretty simple labyrinths. I very rarely got lost in them. I just found navigating them to be very boring. Yes. I never felt lost. I was just bored. Yeah, yeah they're very samey. They're like the game feels surprisingly grindy, despite the fact that it doesn't really require a lot of grinding. It is very grindy. You don't have to grind to do anything. The problem is it takes you so long to get through the dungeon areas that you grind as a result. It felt like you had to grind at the beginning. I got knocked out a lot of times. It depends. If you really know what you're doing, there are a lot of neat tricks you can do, and I do appreciate that about it. And I do like from like a baseline perspective, the JRPG thing of if you don't know the tricks, you can just grind and then make your way through. But definitely, I think early on, which is the part where it's most likely to annoy you, it does kind of intend for you to grind a little bit. Yeah, which is also like it's the only place where you really need to. And it's also the place where it's the most annoying. Getting to the happy, happy village with all the blue cultists is also a huge pain in the ass. If you don't know, it's perfectly reasonable to spend all your money on teddy bears at that point in the game and they will protect you. I completely forgot that was even an option. I used one of them, realized that it was basically a waste of money since it didn't absorb all the damage I wanted it to anyway. The thing is, money is so cheap in Earthbound that it is like fine to invest a bunch of money there on teddy bears if you don't want to grind because they will shield you from some damage i mean that's how i got through that port at any rate yeah Um, i just died a couple times and just kept going through it i think i just ended up face tanking most of it one nice thing not of the level design which is bad but a nice thing about the encounter system is i was trying to think about how much worse this would be if every couple of steps you got in a random encounter and then had to reorient yourself and Uh... like the way the encounter system works makes these so much more like reasonable and nice and it's a real shame that final fantasy 7 and pokemon had to come along and make us think random battles were a good idea for another 20 years especially after chrono trigger just did enemies on the map as well i never really felt like it was that bad most of those games it's not it's not bad in pokemon because as we talked about on our pokemon episode there are very specific areas where random encounters happen in pokemon so it's an increase in tension when you're in one of those areas and and then a release of tension when you're not in one of and sometimes you want to encounter things randomly because you want to catch that new Pokemans. I, I honestly think it works pretty well in Pokemon. I feel like Final Fantasy should have ditched this years ago, yeah. though. And even Final Fantasy developers think that. Seven was not supposed to have random encounters, but they were developing on new hardware and had to meet deadline. And then Seven was the most popular thing ever happened, so they didn't want to change anything because they were scared. Uh, and then nine was a deliberate throwback. And then ten, they wanted to get rid of random encounters, but were working on new hardware. And <laughs> yeah. Because uh, the beginning of 10 is actually how they initially intended the game to be, right? I'm nodding. You can't see it, but yes, I'm nodding. But then after that, they had to ditch that, as well as the like clever boss and area designs, because a couple of the boss fights are like clever that ideas at the beginning. happens in every Final Fantasy game. Zach, 6 has that. 7 has that. They start off with these really cool, clever ideas, and they're like, crap, this is hard. We have to ship by some when? I was like, some of the end bosses in 10 are still pretty good, but yeah. they, they definitely fall in quality well, on it. Yeah, but like attacking the, the, the crane, crane yeah, the crane is the is, one I remember. Uh, like, that's a memorable fight. It's got really cool mechanics. And then the golem in the comlands has some of those, but it's not as memorable. Or like the fight with the octopus guy in the opera house in 6, yeah. right? Like, that's an interesting fight. <laughs> Not to get distracted with Final Fantasy. Uh. Um, I think Zach wants to go on a rant about the inventory in this game, which is oh, very Dragon quest I forgot about that, yeah. <laughs> inventory management is apparently a big bugbear for me. And this one, your inventory is so limited that it kind of compensates for the fact that you can only buy a individual item at a time, so you can't buy items in bulk because you can't carry them in bulk anyway. Yeah, that's so, my pet peeve is buying items. Um, but... The fact that your character basically functionally has a uh, item carrying capacity of 
six distinct items. Because you have your four items for your equipment, which are part of your inventory, which take up space, and then the stuff that you're actually carrying for like HP recovery, SP recovery, Although whatever you got the case some key may items be. that you kind of always need on. Key you, items so. that you need to carry with you take up additional space, so it just jacks up your entire inventory. And then because all your characters carry their own inventory as well, I don't care that Dragon Quest did it. It's a terrible f***ing idea and shouldn't be in any game ever. See, that's what I'm going to fight against because I actually like inventory management as an additional challenge. I mean, we kind of had this argument back in Kingdom Hearts, but I think this is a more reasonable system than Kingdom Hearts' weird one. I like that you have a limited number of recovery items that you can take and you have to choose. Do I want a recovery item or this combat item? And I like that it encourages you to use your combat items quickly because inventory is precious. That said, I do think key items should not take up inventory space. You shouldn't have to have an ATM card in your equipment. That is like the one thing that I do agree. That's not great design. Items are cool options. That's why I like it when games do stuff like uh, Monster Hunter is a good example, I think, of this. Because you have you do have a lot of options in Monster Hunter to carry stuff around, but you can run out of space when you're out and about. So gathering up items on the field, take up item slots. Your items that you're bringing with you for the actual, you know, mission that you're doing, take up item slots. So you have to make decisions about what you're bringing with you. And I remember in a lot of games, it's like, okay, this is the standard equipment I bring with me whenever I go anywhere. So you have to make those decisions about what you're going to take with you. But here it's like I was just leaving all kinds of items behind because I couldn't carry them anyway. Yeah, and I guess I just don't see much of a difference between the two. I agree with you. And certainly you have fewer items here and that sucks. And like Tyler said, one of the best things about new party members is like, I doubled my inventory space. Yay. I um, think the it, biggest difference is that in Monster Hunter, it is trivially easy to not pick something up. Whereas in this game, if you want to choose not to pick something up when your inventory is full, it's like four goddamn minutes of dialogue. Well, the, the other thing about that is, is like Resident Evil 2, limited inventory space that you have to kind of finagle and work around. And what am I going to bring? And what am I going to use up? And what am I going to do with whatever? But the feel of the game is very, very different because you're supposed to be trying to make all those decisions because it's it's... It's kind of designed around that, right? It's designed around that. Here, it's like, this is an RPG where I, uh, like, this the adventure, the items and stuff are part of that adventure. And here, it's like, I can't use any of them because I can't bring them with me because I don't have the space. And I can understand that argument. I actually had kind of a reverse thing, though, whereas I am as a, I as a player, I'm very, like, have that Korean hoarder syndrome. Because I had such limited inventory, I was much more likely to say, oh, I'll just use this here because then it's a free up item slot in addition to using this, even though this is just a random enemy. I don't mind the fact that you have limited inventory. It's mostly that managing it is a pain. Like, it's not as smooth as I want it to be. I want to just, like, say, I press button, it's done. Instead, it's like, are you sure you want to do this thing? Are you really sure you want to do that thing? Yeah, that doesn't help matters. Um, the last thing I really want to talk about is a detriment. We kind of went in on this already, but the status effects are kind of all over the place. And there can be a pain to heal. We talked about the hardest one, which is the mushroom effect. But the other thing is that when your characters die, very or I guess when you game over in this game is what I want to talk about. Very similar to Dragon Quest, Ness gets revived after the game over screen, but all his party members remain dead. He revives with full HP, but no mana bar, which is really annoying because it means you have to go sleep afterwards anyway to recover that. The bigger annoyance to me, though, is that you have to go to the hospital to revive all your fallen allies. And... Later in the game, that can mean encounters that you have to face without your party members. And oftentimes, hospitals don't have ATMs, which is the one time 
that the ATM mechanic was real annoying to me. I remember there was this <laughs> one part in the game where I got kind of stuck just on one particularly hard set of enemies. And I had to go so far from the ATM and then to the hospital and then back to the hotel. And that's just really bad design. That's, I think, the worst bit, like that death spiral. It's just a huge momentum killer when game overs are already a bit of a momentum killer. Yeah, I think a lot of the times when I put the game aside was after I got a game over. And it's like, you have to revive and go through that whole sequence. It was like, all right, yeah, whatever. And then I'm like, okay, I'm going to put this down for a while. Yeah, I also can't blame someone for quitting after one of those because they're just actively not fun. I think it's okay to revive you without your mana points as long as you revive in a hotel and you have to like spend the trivial amount of money to rest because there's an ATM in the hotel, so that's not a big deal. It's just the, like, you've already punished me because I've died. Like, I get that. I've already lost time or whatever it was that I was doing. I've lost time in progress, whatever I was doing. Because this one, unlike a lot of other games, when you game over, it doesn't kick you back to the screen and you lose all progress since you last saved. Which is a nice function that I wish a lot more games would just... A lot of RPGs just I just would do. Yeah. Because um, a lot of them don't. Well, and then you can't get but, into a save lock like you can in some games where you save in an unwinnable state. Yeah, I guess that is kind of true. But then you revive the characters and then you make me jump through all the hoops to get back to combat readiness so that I can continue going through the game. So it's just like, it's, okay, I tripped you and knocked you down. Now now, now hold still while I kick you for a while. Well, like, it's a convenient same way. Like, it could just automatically debit your money and say, like, Ness went to the hospital and got all of his friends back, or the yeah. ambulance delivered them on stretchers. It was hilarious. <laughs> that said, I do really think this is a game you should play. The ending is fantastic. And now Persona has taken this ending and made it work much, much better, in my opinion. Uh, but it's still really strong in this game. It got me again, and I knew it was coming. A lot of the humor is good. Like, my favorite bit is there's this one boss who's just a robot, and it's got a lot of attacks that actually do nothing, but it's like the robot put a bandage on itself and healed itself to full health. And it's not a particularly hard fight, but it goes on for a little bit. And then when you do enough damage to defeat it, like the Runaway 5 run in, it's like Phil ran to the back of the robot and hit the off switch. Man, that was easy. Good <laughs> thing this robot had an off switch. It's mostly wacky, but it does that thing that I attribute to Trigun, where it goes for a gut punch in the end, and I actually think it works. And I think while the story in Earthbound is beyond simple and not particularly good or interesting, I think it does a lot of interesting storytelling that can only be done in video games, and I think that's worth experiencing. And I definitely give it points for just wackiness, because every J R or JRPG tends to be, if not grim, takes itself way too seriously, and I don't think Earthbound ever takes itself very seriously. It's not a hard skip like games like City Connection, but it is very middle of the road, very mediocre, nowhere near as good as the as people seem to make it out to be. I would say, barring maybe the first one, it's maybe not even as good as any of the Final Fantasies we've played, but... I'm going to fight you on that. That's one, fair. One thing I will say is that this game is very specific, and I feel like it lost a lot of broad appeal, and the reason it's so popular among a small group of people is I think it's very powerful to a very niche group of people. And whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, you can argue. I think that is a thing that you can do much more easily in today's market, where you can make an indie game specifically for yourself and whoever happens to identify with you. Well, yeah, because that... I think a lot of the Kickstarters are like that. Or like Undertale, which a lot of people see as the like spiritual successor to Earthbound. Well, and I mean, I that makes why. sense since the guy got to start making an Earthbound hack. Well, like, it's similarly goofy, and then all of a sudden at the end, it gut punches you. So, it, like, at least in terms of plot or pacing? Plot? I don't know. Trigon doesn't gut punch you, though. 
Yeah, it no? doesn't kill Wolfwood on you. <laughs> Who cares about Wolfwood anyway? Also, speaking of hard skips, we have a list on our website, <laughs> www.lastpodcast.com, listing all the games we've played from best to worst. The best game we have is Chrono Trigger, a game that past Jeremy has said is not as good as Earthbound. At the bottom... <laughs> D- does current Jeremy agree with that still? So? Honestly, no. When we start this, I want to start by comparing it to Chrono Trigger, because I want to talk about why. At the bottom, we have City Connection, which is a hard skip. And dead in the center, we have Kirby's Dreamland, which actually I would also probably skip, but being that it's the first Kirby game, maybe that gives it some points to make it worth playing. Earthbound should be next to City Connection. I know you don't agree with that. I don't actually agree with that statement. (laughs) So I want to talk about why I don't think it's as good as Chrono Trigger anymore. And that's that Chrono Trigger is one of the best paced games of all time. Honestly, that's why I think it's at the top of our list. The only game I can think of off the top of my head that has better pacing is Portal. It's probably not the only one, but that's the only one that comes to mind. Because there's only one bit of Chrono Trigger that drags like at all. And it's a JRPG, which is a genre that's infamous for dragging. It's I also found got- Chrono Trigger actually fun. Well, it's also got, uh, like, all the characters are relatively unique. There's the combo techs, which make them feel like they synergize it. It also does, like... Paula never really felt like a character to me, at least as far as I got in this. No, and um, that's what I want to compare it to Final Fantasy VI for. Because I've also said Earthbound's better than Final Fantasy VI. But Final Fantasy VI does so much character work, and Earthbound really doesn't. It's in the Dragon Quest mold. I do think there is a little bit of character to Jeff and Paula and Pooh, especially Pooh. Well, actually, one of the things I really like is whenever you're in direct control of a character, their mute like Ness is, which makes me think Ness is actually talking and stuff. You just don't see it because you're in control of them, because Jeff is mute until you meet up with the rest of the party, which is weird. And I think that's okay, because I've said a hundred times, story in RPGs is usually bad. And I'm playing Kingdom Hearts right now for the story, so like <laughs> that's a weird spot I'm in. But I think Final Fantasy VI, the things that are really good about it, there are some really high high points of Earthbound, but like you can put the opera scene up against most of them, and the opera scene still comes out. Or like well. the entire thing with Cyan's family. Honestly, even the planes where Guar is at are surprisingly interesting. Suplexing a ghost trick. Honestly, Final Fantasy VI has so much cool stuff. So a game I never really thought to compare to Earthbound until this playthrough, but I think is actually incredibly comparable, is Paper Mario. Okay, yeah, no, I can see that. I think they have a lot of the same strengths. They're both kind of parodies of RPGs in a certain way. Paper Mario took that encounter system straight from Earthbound. If you jump on a Goomba in the world map, you get to start the fight by jumping on a Goomba. Although enemies in that will just always rush you, basically, right? Yeah. So, um, But still. I don't think Paper Mario quite has the high highs of Earthbound, but it's much more consistent and I think ends up being a better game. And it also subverts traditional JRPG mechanics just a little bit more in a way that I find fairly interesting. The fact that you actually have to participate with each attack that you swing. Yeah, I think I would agree with that. I think I would prefer to play Paper Mario over Earthbound. Like, I think Paper Mario is more fun to play, even if I honestly think I'd like Earthbound more. And so I think the next natural point to compare it to is Super Mario RPG, which is more contemporary with Earthbound. And that's where I kind of have to dig in my heels and say I think Earthbound is much more innovative and much more fun to play than Super Mario RPG is. And I think much better to look at, but I think I might be, I might have a weird axe to grind in that regard. Yeah, this is actually a really hard one for me because the games are very comparable in my head. Weirdly, I think Earthbound has more charm to it. Oh, I certainly Um, think it does. Although... Like, Super Mario RPG takes itself seriously in a weird way that's really weird, especially for a Mario game, right? On the other hand, it does have a lot, like, it's got the things where, like, you can infinitely jump on people if you get the timing down right and things like that. Like, it's got that active combat system that Paper Mario has. It's just not quite as refined yet. Oh, no, this is actually a really hard one for me. 
I'm trying to think about whether or not I think it is better or worse because it's like I don't really care for either game. <laughs> I think at the end of the like, I think at the end of the day, I'd have to give it to Super Mario RPG purely <laughs> because of the uh, the active uh, combat. So, and that that was the main sticking point for me. The problem is, like, I just enjoy the quirk of Earthbound so much. God damn, that's hard. I think I'm going to have to side with Jeremy on this one. I think I prefer Earthbound slightly. They're very similar games, or they occupy a very similar spot of my brain, I think. Which means that's going above Final Fantasies 2, 4, and 1. I'm okay with that. Uh, I mean, I'm, I am too. I was. This is like the range I thought of when I was thinking, where do I want to put Earthbound was between Paper Mario and Mario RPG. That seems <laughs> right, which is a pretty decent range for us. Like, I think I'm the one who liked Final Fantasy IV the most of all of us, and I think that's only because I know how the game ends. So up a little bit from Mario RPG, another Super Nintendo cult classic RPG is Ogre Battle March of the Black Queen. You can argue it's not an RPG, but I certainly think when they were making it, they had RPG in mind. It's a tactics RPG thing. A lot wrong with March of the Black Queen, but I also think there's a lot wrong with Ogre with the... I do think there's a lot wrong with Ogre Battle March of the Black Queen, and there's also a lot (laughs) wrong with Ogre Battle 64, for that matter. There's also a lot wrong with Earthbound. I think... I think Ogre Battle's trying a bit more, so I I think Ogre Battle goes ahead for me. Ogre Battle's a game I want to like, and I want to go back and play, but every time I try, I can't get through, like, even the beginning portion of it. So, like, for me, it has to be Earthbound. I have a very similar problem... I don't know, but Ogre Battle's such a unique beast, right? Like, what else is like that? Ogre Battle, a uh, person of lordly caliber, which yeah. is a bit above <laughs> it, and I don't think uh, we're going to get that far. Actually, a uh, person of lordly caliber is a... Oh, no, it's just Bullet Paper Mario. Never mind. Oh, no. This is a tough one for me. Um, I mean, I don't think it's better than Ogre Battle 64. Edgy teenage ink story aside. But we're not there yet. We're not there yet. And I don't think we're going to get there, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I would put it there, but... I'm curious as to what we're going to contend with. Um, I think I'm going to have to give it to Earthbound still, very slightly, because it's got that funky funky mushroom smell. So jumping over the Mega Man block, the next RPG we have on the list <laughs> that I don't think I can convince you guys to put Earthbound above, it's Knights of the Old Republic. <laughs> oh, hell no. I just think Earthbound's more fun. I like the combat system in Earthbound more than the combat system in Knights of the Old Republic. And while I think Knights of the Old Republic, I actually think it's weirdly comparable to Earthbound and that I think a lot of people really liked it when they were younger and see a lot of the good in it, but don't see some of the bad in it. I mean, I, I think we saw plenty of bad in it while we were reviewing it. Yes. Um, but I, I mean, and like to me, the best thing about Knights of the Old Republic is, is it gave us Dragon Age and Mass Effect, which are certainly valid things. It was also one of the like... like the, the twist is good, but... It's also one of the like first mainstream games that deals with characters who are actually morally ambiguous being your allies. That didn't happen in video games a lot until then. Um, I think I'm going to have to fulfill your prophecy, and I'm going to say that KOTOR's, um, at least for my list, above Earthbound. By, uh, by large in a way, KOTOR is better than Earthbound. Um, I will say... In in my in my heart, I like Earthbound more, but I think from a game design perspective, I think Kotor just wins. So the RPG ish, the most RPG ish game <laughs> between the two is River City Ransom, which oh. also has a lot of quirk to it. Definitely Earthbound. I I don't think this is even an argument for me. I love River City Ransom. I mean, yeah, I think Earthbound too. So that means <laughs> we are now like I can't avoid the Mega Man block. So. <laughs> da, 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 da. Da, 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 da. How do we think it compares to Mega Man X3, which is at the top of the Mega Man block? So if we say better, we don't have to deal with it. But let's be <laughs> honest and not cheat ourselves that way. X3 is definitely... Worse. 
I think w- w- which <laughs> w- w- I which... think Earthbound is worse okay. than Mega Man. <laughs> Thoughts, Tyler? Like X three is the one I didn't is like the only Mega Man game we've played for the podcast that I didn't beat. It's also at the top of his block, so the the block does not include X and X two ways. No, uh, they are both higher. Okay, um, X two not much higher, but it's above Kotor. So well, it's the worst of the X's, but I think most of the X's are better than most of the originals. So there's that. I mean, this list reflects that Mega Man two is the only. Not the only outlier in the originals. I think Mega Man is also higher than X2, but... I don't know. This is a really tough decision. I actually think I prefer Earthbound to X3, which was not really iterating on its own concept very well already. I'm really torn on it, but like I said, X3 is the one I haven't beat, and I did just beat... Not only did I beat Earthbound, like, beating Earthbound really gave me, like, a refreshed energy for this podcast. <laughs> like, it made me want to play some old games and talk about them. Do do you are you filled with determination? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, like, it's a hard choice for me, but I think I would also put Earthbound above Mega Man X three. Right above that is Pulse Man, and I feel like if I'm putting it above X three, I still have to put it above Pulse Man. I mean, I, I was arguing it for it to be above Kotor, so I I, <laughs> I didn't realize Pulse Man was actually outside of the Mega Man. Block, well, it's right it's above just it. a bit. I mean, it's kind of a Mega Man game anyway. I know. I thought it was but... buried in there a bit more. Well, it's it's at the top of the Mega Man. No, and we gave it a lot of points for just having a unique gameplay concept. But I think I'd give it to Pulse Man. I almost would also still give it to Pulse Man, but I'm not entirely convinced you're, on this. You're the arbiter here. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was going to say Pulse Man gets a little samey after a while, but I mean, Earthbound is already kind of grindy. Uh, but it's got that good gut punch at the end. This is a legitimately tough decision. I think I'm. I think earthbound edges it out a little bit just just because of the fondness it has in my heart my cockles are cooling it doesn't have <laughs> i'm running out of goodwill for bumping it up i think well i mean we're at the final question which is does earthbound make our top 50 is it better than tom clancy's splinter cell i don't like that <laughs> game to begin with i would have put it lower and i would put earthbound above coder yeah that's why do you think i was avoiding it <laughs> But you're going to have to decide, Tyler, because Zach's about to say Earthbound's not as good as that, and I'm 100% on the Earthbound is better train. So, Tyler, live or die, make your choice. Can I speak first? Sure. Earthbound is not as good as Splinter Cell. (laughs) I just wanted to make sure I personally said it. You know, I got to speak up sometimes. Although Splinter Cell has a lot of mechanical problems. On the other hand, it pioneered a lot of those mechanical problems who have them. So, there's that. I mean, there there is a lot of wrong with Splinter Cell, but like you said, it it was doing a lot more stuff that people hadn't really done yet. But Earthbound also has a lot of problems. It has a lot of problems that it should have been fixing instead of just duct taping on to what it, what it already had. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to see that if you're in the middle of it, though. My problem is I'm thinking preemptively of putting Metal Gear Solid on this list, and for it's gonna sure, be weird. For sure, that's going to go above Splinter Cell, I think. I mean... <laughs> I don't know, but I don't I know like either. It. When I replay it, I wonder how I'm going to view the flaws of Metal Gear Solid. I've never played it before, so... And I don't think you're going to like it as much as you think you are. I played the first, like, hour of it, and I got to Revolver Ocelite rambling about nuclear weapons. I'm like, I don't think this is the game for me right this minute. Maybe future me will enjoy it more. Um, I think I'm actually going to have to agree with Zach on this one, because Splinter Cell pioneered so much in the realm of state stealth gameplay and Earthbound. Well, clear, like, it had influence, but, like, it wasn't doing new, really. So Earthbound goes at number 51, above Pulse Man and below Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell. Tyler, what are we going to play next week that's not going to be such a roller coaster? Well, I hope it's not going to be such a roller coaster, but it's also another beloved classic. Um, and I I, never... Is it really? Yeah, people love people this People apparently do. I mean, that's yeah. why we got multiple movies and a reboot. I mean, the, I'm not convinced. 
The new ones are pretty good, um, although they're just Zelda with like Lara Croft. They're more Technically, Uncharted. they're Uncharted. Yeah, which, which was is also Zelda with which was Tomb Raider. Tomb Raider which, <laughs> it's a it's weird Ouroboros. We're playing the yeah. original Tomb Raider. My boobs feel bigger now. Thank you. <laughs> that was the joke I was going to make. We're done. We, we have finished the podcast forever, guys. <laughs> Next time on Last Time, the joke's act. We have finished the podcast forever, guys. <laughs> Next time on Last Time, the Zach. The... <laughs> Next time on this take. <laughs> this has been a Last Podcast production, copyright 2019.